Welcome to Her Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter eight of The Subtle Knife, The Tower of the Angels. podcast recording of the new year Faye how are you feeling (laughs) hello I'm okay um I've forgotten how to do a podcast and also (laughs) also I'm very tired and need to sleep all the time so who knows how this is gonna go yay (laughs) so 2021 how's it how's it feeling so far (laughs) other than like the same hellscape that we thought we'd escape from last year. Remember last episode when we recorded it in December and I was like, hey everyone, how's 2021? Turns out it's worse. <laughs> so far, <laughs> it is worse than 2020. Yeah. It's just not going well, is it? I mean, are we surprised that it's more of the same? Probably not. I don't think we can really blame a year when it's not really... <laughs> this is the thing, it's not even more of the same. It is worse. Like The virus is worse in the UK people are fucking storming the capital in america it is a shit show true that yeah things have been really weird and really scary and it all does feel a bit surreal thank fuck he's been impeached if only the cogs of politics and bureaucracy could move a little bit faster so that more could be done thing is we'll probably know when this episode comes out i don't want to put a debbie down on things but like i just don't see it going anywhere He's been impeached twice, sure. Like, Biden's coming in soon. We know that he's not getting removed before Biden comes in. It's going to go to trial. I don't think he'll be convicted just because of the track record that he's had during his presidency. He's gotten away with so much shit that I just think he'll get away with it. Who the fuck knows? We can only hope and we can only carry on doing what we can do, which is chatting shit about a book. So, you know. It's true. (laughs) It's true. We are good at that. We can't solve the issues of the world, but we can chat shit about Philip Pullman's books. Yes, we can. And you know what? I'm looking forward to like having something really nice to look forward to every other week as we like record and do the podcast and like get back into a routine. Because I do think that my body and my brain needs a bit more routine, despite the fact that we're in this weird like jelly of not really knowing what's going on. So hopefully... A regular schedule and some nice surprises for you guys will help all of you to feel like we're back in some kind of normal routine as well. (laughs) Yeah, and I I think as well, from a personal standpoint, recording the podcast is probably one of the only times that I am just thinking about one thing and not thinking about anything else. Everyone's got so much stuff going on that it's nice to have like a couple of hours every other week to talk about this and only talk about this and have fun with it so yeah it's really nice to have that distraction really yeah yeah definitely also rich and i were just talking about how we think that this 
is the longest time that we've gone in every year without video chatting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or seeing each other physically. (laughs) Yeah, well, yes, yes. In a pandemic world, I suppose. But the last time we recorded was just before Christmas, like maybe... Yes, yeah. So we recorded the last TV show episode before Christmas, but the last time we recorded in our usual setup was like well before Christmas. That was the Lin-Manuel interview, wasn't it? I told you I'd fucking mention it in every episode ever. (laughs) Every episode from now on. Do you want to know what? Speaking of interviews... Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. We're speaking to Simone Kirby on Tuesday, which means that if you're listening to this right now, we've already spoken to her and she was probably lovely. (laughs) We've done it and I can only assume that she was great and it was really fun. I am so happy that we got to speak to Simone because that's another one that's been in the works for a while. We we contacted each other because Simone had listened to the podcast, which is amazing. Before the TV show had even aired, I think it had just been announced that she was going to play Mary. And we were like, come on the podcast. And she was like, of course. Um, but we wanted to wait until we'd seen all of the episodes before we spoke to her. So that is why we, I suppose, stalled it a little bit until January when we could ask her all the Mary Malone things. And oh my gosh, there's so much to ask and I'm so excited. And I mean, I can only assume it went well and I'm very excited for you all to hear it. <laughs> I love this weird, like, timeless space that we're in sometimes when we record when some things have happened or not happened. And it's like Schrodinger's interview. Yeah, it's so hard to, like, fathom it in my brain when I'm talking about things. We don't know when you're going to get the interview yet. You might already have it by the time this has come out. It depends how fast we edit it and get it out there. But if you haven't heard it yet, you'll be hearing it soon. So stay tuned for that because I'm sure it will be great. We've already had some great questions through from our patrons on our Discord and we put questions up online. If you've seen them, great. If you haven't, I'm sorry, it's too late. Um, (laughs) Speaking of patrons though, I'm just like a Segway queen today. I'm sorry. She's the queen of Segways. We have to do a great big thank you bumper book episode shout out to our new patron, Ellie. Hi, Ellie. Thank you, Ellie. Thanks for your support. We appreciate you. Yes. Yes. We do. Hey, Faye. Hi. What would your demon have been this week? Good question. I always forget, so I'm going to look at my notes. Hang on. Okay. So, I am so tired at the minute. So tired to the point where... I've been needing naps during the day and that hasn't been a thing for me really since I was at uni. I've literally had like moments recently where I've been doing something or whatever and I've just stopped and been like, I need to go to sleep right now. Um, And I've been having naps. So I just thought, what would help me in like my tired state? And I don't know if this is a thing that can happen, but I Googled like sleepy animals and we've had sloths before, so I'm not going to go sloth. But apparently giant armadillos sleep for 18 hours a day. Oh my God, that's the dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my thinking was if I had a giant armadillo as a demon, could they sleep and I be awake, but like their sleeping is helping me? I like energizing you. Yeah. Ooh. I don't know if that's a thing that can happen with demons, if they can sleep and you can be awake. You went for that and I went, oh, if I had an armadillo... Just paint its shell really bright colours. Yeah. <laughs> you could like do like fun like nail polish designs on the <laughs> shell. 
And the demon would hate you so much for it. Yes. Oh, that's so uh, cute. But yeah, if I had a giant armadillo and it slept, it could mean that I could get shit done while also being energized by my sleepy demon. But who knows if that's a thing in demon law, but if it's not, it should be. That would be really cool. Apparently, um, brown, is it brown bats? They sleep for longer. They sleep for like 19 hours a day, but I didn't want to go back because you'd already done that a few weeks ago. But they're the sleepiest of animals, apparently. Oh, I just love bats so much. Me too. Me too. Very little sky dogs. They're so great. What would your demon be? So, like many of us, I have been fueling my way through the winter months with attempts at keeping warm somewhat successfully and excessive amounts of food. And so I was thinking, what's something that can like eat a ridiculous amount of food? And also, I don't know, I was mostly thinking about the food, to be honest, aren't I always? Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I think a python. Ooh. Oh. Hear me out eat a huge amount of food, digest it over a long period of time while sleeping under a heat lamp. Oh, the dream. I just want to sleep under a heat lamp, basically, and eat all the food. And I just think, yeah, just like a massive python. It'd be so cool. I love that. I love snakes. I love pythons. They're so lovely. I know that sounds weird. I know a lot of people don't like snakes. But if when having... I've never had a snake as a pet, but... I grew up with a couple of friends that did, and they are some of the loveliest pets when they are your pets. They're so, like, it seems weird to say about a snake, but they're so loving and they're so fun. Yeah. And they just like, they like slither around up your arm and just chill there. And I mean, a python might be a bit too big for that, but <laughs> <laughs> they just seem very calm as well. And I feel like I need that energy in my life, like that, like, calm energy that sleeping under a heat lamp, digesting large amounts of food is, yeah, that would be pretty great. My uh, my friend's snakes, when we were kids, used to, when you used to let them out, they used to just go and curl up behind the TV because it was warm there. So you'd just find them curled up with all the wires and you'd be like, please don't do that to yourself. You're going to hurt yourself. Uh, yeah, a little danger noodle or a giant danger noodle. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> Shall we get into the episode? Yeah. Let's talk about yes. this book chapter. Last chapter, Lyra went back to Will's Oxford without him to find Mary, where she was interrogated by the police. She ran away and was picked up by Creepy Charles, who used the opportunity to steal the alethiometer. To get it back, he told Lyra and Will to bring him a knife. In this chapter, Will and Lyra head to the Tower of the Angels to find the knife. In the tower, they find a man with the knife who attacks them. Will fights and wins, but loses two of his fingers in the process. Giacomo Paradisi tells Will that he's now the bearer of the subtle knife and shows him how to use it. Well, this is a fucking chapter, isn't it? Oh my goodness. I mean, we finally met the knife for we one thing. Knife. <laughs> this chapter, I loved it so much, but I found it so difficult to go through for the podcast. I was messaging Rich so much being like, I can't make notes without being really sleepy. And I was like, I was doing two pages at a time and being like, I can't do it. There's like so much in this chapter. I will say as well that, um, and we'll get into it more as we move through it, but I think it's a testament to how well the TV show did this particular chapter that all I'm thinking about when I'm reading it is how they did it in the show. 
And yeah, some of the decisions they made that I think were potentially more thought out than the books in a lot of ways, or just felt like they fitted together perfectly for how you would bring that to the screen. Well, we we basically pick up where we left off with Creepy Charles being a creepy, horrible, horrible, manipulative, horrible man who I hate. (laughs) (laughs) That's my feelings. Yeah, and I think like literally straight away he's like articulating how much of a dickhead he is so he says someone who has no more right to the knife than i have to the alethiometer said sir charles unfortunately for all of us the alethiometer is in my possession and the knife is in his and he's talking about the guy that has the knife and i'm just like you know how much of a dickhead you are oh yeah yeah it's very like smarmy kind of disney villain vibes but a little bit cleverer than that in some ways I don't appreciate it. And it's like, yeah, so you're fully admitting that you have no claim whatsoever to the alethiometer and that you're just being a manipulative prick. Like, okay, great. Thanks for that. And he's just, he does, is just rubbing it in, basically. Yeah, it kind of points out how fucking, how much power he has. Like, I think that's the infuriating thing about it is that he knows that the power is tipped so much in his favour that he can say shit like that and not reap the consequences for it and just, like, fucking rub it in Lara and Will's face because he knows that they're not going to be able to really do anything about it. And I think I said that last chapter, but I have to say it again because it just really infuriates me. Oh, God, absolutely. And he's just... This is his kind of victory lap. Like, he realises he won the argument last chapter and so now he's being, like, the smarmiest of smarm faces and, like... (laughs) Oh yeah, I've made that up. It's a thing now. Because <laughs> Will's like, how do you know about the other world? And he's like, I know many things that you don't. What else would you expect? I'm a good deal older and considerably better informed. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> Just get out. Get out. Ugh. And then Lyra thinks that he's from Chittagatze. And he's like, no, no, not from there. Mm-hmm. there's a couple of points through this where I'm kind of like mm, Lyra's missing things here because she's so angry we keep having to there's a pin that we put in a few episodes that we're going to keep having to like wiggle this chapter but we can't take it out and move it yet because Lyra's so angry that she's not thinking clearly and she's not remembering clearly and it's really frustrating it is <laughs> and like I didn't realise how long Phil drags that on for it has been almost this whole well how many chapters like three or four chapters maybe where she said that she recognises him, but she can't place him. I'm just like, God, like, when are you going to fucking tell us? <laughs> Recognise him already. <laughs> we find out that the reason that Charles can't go into Shitagatsi, we know is because of the spectres. And the reason he wants the knife is because the knife keeps the spectres away. The spectres are afraid of it. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Lyra asks why the spectres only attack adults and he just completely dismisses her really doesn't matter apparently and then he tries to like throw lyra off his scent by asking her questions about pan i find this just really odd like he's asking about pan to throw them off scent and like pretending he doesn't know what a demon is but will's spotted his demon but hasn't had a chance to tell lyra that he's seen that this guy has what will's clearly now realized is probably definitely a demon lyra's still so annoyed and angry that she just wants to hurt his feelings so instead of like putting two and two together well two and two and two and two and two like (laughs) she's been picking all these twos up and she's just not doing maths right now (laughs) and she instead she's like cracks out the perfect insult that's just like 
he's my demon. You think you ain't got demons in this world, but you have, and yours would be a dung beetle. And then he comes back with what I think is a great, like, oh, I'm so intelligent retort comeback, which is like, oh, well, if the pharaohs of Egypt were content to be represented by the scarab, then so am I. Oh my God. What a sick burn from Lyra. Well done. Love it. And also like, what a great little like posh man's volley. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I love how he was so on it. It's like he didn't even miss a beat. He was like, boom, straight away. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my fucking God. I love it. It's 100% the kind of comeback that I would either think of later or like come back within an argument, but with somebody that didn't give a shit. So they'd like do an insult and I'd give what I would think would be like a very clever and witty like Joss Whedon script writing Buffy level-esque comeback and they'd just be like, yeah, well, you smell of shit and like walk away. And you're like, well, that's not a witty reply. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to have a scripted moment. No, totally. It really reminds me of like, kind of, I suppose like schoolyard arguments. Somebody saying like, your demon would be a dung beetle and then like you said you coming back with like a really witty retort it reminds me of like you might have just learnt it you might have just learnt something about dung beetles in, in school like the day before and you're like well actually and they're just like and you'd be like well actually ancient Egyptians believe that the dung beetle rolled the sun like a giant one rolled the sun across the sky and so that's a really important job and so without my dung beetle demon you wouldn't have sunshine and they'd be like <laughs> what <laughs> They're already gone. They've they've fucked off. They're like, I'm done with this shit. (laughs) Oh, God. I did want to point out that I thought it was strange that Will didn't realise straight away in the last chapter that the snake was a demon. He says, it says here, like, Will realised that the snake he'd he'd seen concealed in the man's sleeve was a demon too. I thought that he would have just jumped to that conclusion straight away because, like, why else would he have a fucking snake in his sleeve? He's only really met Lyra that has a demon, right? So he still kind of doesn't fully know what one is and, like, maybe just in the moment so much was happening at once that it was just a fact that sat there and hadn't been processed properly yet. True, true. Just more Charles being horrible. I don't enjoy it. I feel like Will does a little bit of a bad chess move here where as Charles is giving them a lift in the the Rolls Royce, which Phil loves so much, it (laughs) drives very smoothly, don't you know, (laughs) by his chauffeur, Alan, as they're like pulling up to like near-ish to where the window is, Will sees like a police car at the other end of the road and seems to make this calculation that it's okay to get Charles and his chauffeur to drive closer to the hornbeam tree window to avoid the police because Charles can't go through the window because of the spectres. But I feel like that's just a really odd calculation to make because I I would still want to keep the window safe. I feel like I'd get him to drive further the other direction or something. Yeah, I I don't think it's a good move from Will at all. In this like back and forth that they have with Charles before he drops him off, hate that he implies that Lyra stole the alethiometer. Mm-hmm. No fucking thank you. Charles says, by the way, if you can't get the knife, don't bother to return. Come to my house without it and I'll call the police. I imagine they'll be here at once when I tell them your real name. It is William Parry, isn't it? Yes, I thought so. There's a very good photo of you in today's paper. Wah, wah, wah. Fuck. Fuck. He knew all along. I feel like that's a real, like, again like rubbing it in power move of like, oh, and this whole time I could have threatened you 
with calling the police, but I didn't. But I'm going to leave it there as a threat, as like my like insurance policy. It's just horrid. Like it, it reinforces that like imbalanced power dynamic of the fact that he's known the whole time that he could have called the police on Will and like could have dangled that over their heads and that like made him feel even more secure in blackmailing them. And that's not cool. No. I would love to see what these papers are saying about Will. Part of me is like, surely they're just looking for a missing child rather than wanting to arrest a child because they would have no evidence that he pushed this guy down the stairs or like accidentally pushed him. So surely they're just like, this child is missing. We want to find him. He's a minor as well. Like he's, he is a child. Like they've said he's like 12 or so years old. So that is very much missing child situation and not like wanted person situation. Yeah. Although I do appreciate Will's distrust of the police. Um. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And also like the guy, D.I. Walters, is it? We know he's a bit, well, we know he's shady as fuck. So I can kind of see why Will would want to avoid that situation. But yeah, the papers I would imagine are just like, there's a missing child. I guess Will just doesn't want to be tied down by anyone or anything either like even if he Same. wasn't in trouble he would <laughs> oh it's me <laughs> not tied down by anyone or anything yeah like he just doesn't want to get tangled up in anything that isn't his own drama right now so it makes sense to just avoid any kind of notice so they go back into Chichigatsu. i feel like you're gonna say something then that's all i had so go for it <laughs> i know they go back lyra is still struggling with not remembering because for some reason she just is bad at remembering we've got to wiggle that pin how dare we talk about lyra not being able to remember like we can't do that we are the worst absolute goldfish (laughs) here we are like oh my god lyra i can't believe that you don't you can't place that guy yet i'm so bad at faces as well and we can't remember what fucking happened in the last chapter and here we are shouting at lyra just calling us out because somebody would if i didn't (laughs) They kind of go and like sniff around the Tower of the Angels now, don't they? And then Lyra mentions to Will that she saw somebody at the top of the tower that she thinks is Tullio, which is, if we remember, Angelica and Paola's brother. Killed Spectres! Yes. She then kind of thinks, if you remember last chapter, she was wondering about like, oh, these kids are like lying about something, they're hiding something. And then she kind of puts like two and two together and thinks that the kids all know about the knife. She's putting all these twos together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Not the other ones. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And they've come back into the city for that reason. So this like starts a chain of like, Pan is like whispering anxiously to Lyra. It kind of starts a chain of like Lyra being like, no, 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 we have to do this because this is our fault. Um, And we get to a bit later on, which I'm not going to bring up now, but I will later on. But I'm just like not into this kind of Lyra being like, no, we have to do this because it's our fault. It just doesn't sit well with me. There's only so much self-flagellation you can take before you're like, no, so somebody needs to shake you and tell you that this isn't your fault and you need to stop feeling so guilty about it because so many of the factors involved here make it not your fault. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They are still getting the same vibe from the tower as they were before and it's creepy and Pan is kind of doing his amazing demon thing and scoping things out. Like, he's just being useful and flying around and trying to find places and they basically see there's just, like... There's no other entrances except for the front door. Pan flies up, looks through a window, flies to like the end of his reach Mm. from Lyra. And Will kind of gets to witness this like human demon connection that he's never witnessed before where like Lyra starts to feel the pull and she kind of has to like 
breathe through it. And it's just really interesting. Like we're having that described again. And I feel like it's a really odd thing throughout the books with the human demon connection and the limits of that pull, because sometimes Pan seems to go miles away. Mm. Even in the books, like sometimes Pan seems to be really far away and it's not really mentioned. And then sometimes they're really aware of the fact that he's flying far away or they're doing something to reach. And they're like, I feel like perhaps the tether is something that is harder to strain if you're aware of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I just wonder whether it's like one of those continuity things where you see it all the time in Buffy where like you'll have like one episode where like Buffy kicks down a door and then the next episode she's trapped in a room and can't get through the door. Like I wonder if it's just like in Buffy they they it takes them a couple of seasons to like know what the limits of her strength is and I wonder if mm. it's something like that like Phil's written it and then kind of like accidentally written a part where Pan goes further away and it's just not been in his brain when he's been writing it and he's kind of using it to his advantage in the sense of like oh well in this in this chapter I need a plot point where we explain to Will that demons can't go that far away but in the previous chapter we had Pan flying way up in the air like looking at the like at Oxford and like finding the ways that Lyra can go down the street yeah or like when they're at sea and he's wheeling around as a seagull or yeah. being a porpoise and yeah. it's like you're probably a lot further away from Lyra than like you are when you're at the end of the scrap metal yard that Yorick's in when he turns into a badger and pulls on the thing. Yeah. Like that's such a different amount of distance. Yeah. So, I'm not very good at distances, but oh, it no, sounds so. different. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm the same, but I, I do think it's probably just like a continuity thing that um, it's just like Phil's used it as a plot point and kind of just uses it as and when it comes up and doesn't really think about the limits as much. Mm. We're all about a continuity error. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pan sees somebody in the tower dancing. Yeah. Moving to and fro, waving his hand about, or as if he was fighting something invisible. Interesting. Lyra wonders whether he's fighting a spectre. And also this next bit, they mention like there's a like a tower. Like behind the tower, there's like a wall that's like topped with broken glass and then after that, there's like a garden and all that kind of shit. Uh, a wall topped with broken glass seems very our world to me. It's very like deterrent, like to stop people climbing over it and getting into the garden. I see that as being like very our world. Doesn't really seem to fit in Chittagatse. But Chittagatse, in fairness, is a lot like our world. It just, I feel like the starkness of having broken glass on the top of the wall just kind of pulled me out of it a little bit. I guess it's more our world to have a barbed wire fence than it is to have a wall top with broken glass. Broken, like, I can see it being like sea glass and like chitigatsi kind of... It's more old tech than barbed wire, which mm. I feel like would be the next one. Would be like It would be a tall wall and then there'd be like a barbed wire coil on top of it if it was our world, maybe. Yeah, like it's... In the broken glass vibe. I don't know, I think I feel like that just because where I grew up, there were a lot of walls with broken glass. It's on so the top. horrible. Yeah, it is. It is. That's yeah. like... Oh, I hate it. It's so dangerous. It's so nasty. Like, it, yeah, I, I always like uh, sometimes because a lot of the bottles were like green and blue. Sometimes when the light hits it really nice, it looks great. <laughs> but yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah, pretty deadly. Yeah. <laughs> they decide that they they need to go in the front. There's no other way to go. So they head they head inside there and uh, and have a have a wander around. They go down some stairs to have a look. They go up some stairs. They hear a man 
talking to himself. So they go up the stairs towards him. And when they get to the floor he's on, Will pushes open the door so we can see what he's doing. And I just want to read this next bit. It was a large room with cobwebs thickly clustered on the ceiling. The walls were lined with bookshelves containing badly preserved volumes with the bindings crumbling and flaking or distorted with damp. Several of them lay thrown out of the shelves, open on the floor, or the wide dusty tables, and others had been thrust back. Higgledy-piggledy. I am not impressed with this shameful treatment of books. Yeah. Look after your books, people. I'm not happy about this all. I enjoy higgledy-piggledy. <laughs> I like higgledy-piggledy, but I don't it's like... It's like haberdashery, it's a good word. <laughs> I don't like the bindings crumbling and flaking and the badly preserved volumes, it upsets me. No, I do not enjoy a poorly looked... What am I saying? I don't enjoy a poorly looked after book, she says, after her copy of Northern Lights lost three pages in its last read-through. Yeah, no, but that's Shame it's been, on me. Because it's been read so much though, Rich. You wouldn't throw it all over the floor. It says like several of them lay thrown out of the shelves open on the floor. No. That's true. That is true. I would. I look after them and they just fall apart with love. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Don't we all? Uh, <laughs> repeatedly... Throughout this chapter, we will get descriptions of this man, this dancing man, Tullio, we think Tullio, as sounding like a madman or being mad or being, I think they may even use insane later on. And I don't, I don't love it. It doesn't make me feel comfortable. Um, It's obviously not supposed to, but I kind of wish that it was reframed a little bit because I feel like, especially with Will thinking a lot of these things, like, oh, he sounds like a madman. I would feel like Will would have a much higher tolerance for recognising, like, mental health and instability and vulnerability in that rather than threat in that. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll kind of, as we've reached those points in the chapter, I just think whilst it is important that it is, yeah, it's a life or death situation. Somebody's coming at you with a knife. I don't know if I love the interpretation of Will being so up for a fight and so up for hurting this other person when it's not just about survival. Um, Yeah. I agree. You kind of took the words right out of my mouth in terms of them calling this person a madman um i would have thought exactly as you said will would have more tolerance for that because of his mother and the injustices that he's seen from that i will say that with the fighting thing i can relate again as a person that's been badly bullied sometimes i didn't get in many fights at all but i can see how he jumps to that like he's ready for it just because he's had to have been for a long time in his childhood and like you get pushed to like certain limits where when you're faced with another threat you just instantly get into that mindset and I feel that's what Will does here um so I don't think I think it's less of like yes mate I'm ready for a fight and more I know what this situation is and I will automatically adjust myself to to survive in this situation yeah, I think perhaps what I want it, would want is some kind of recognition from Will of like, this person is clearly also vulnerable and then I don't want to have to hurt you. I don't want to have to fight you coming from him. And we don't feel that. And we obviously, it's a very fast paced situation in which he probably doesn't have a lot of choice, but I would like to have that more explicitly put or more just general recognition of like, 
hey, sometimes, yes, you are in immediate danger in the moment, but also that person is probably very vulnerable at the same time. And that it's not aggression coming from a place of sanity. It's it's not, they're not like a level-headed threat. Mm. And there is vulnerability in that that you need to recognise. And then if there is, it's, it's a really fucking hard situation. And I kind of wish that Philip hadn't made this character that way. Mm. If they were just like a straight up threat, it would have been way more cut and dry. And obviously there's reasons that he's done that because we like to have grey area, but I don't love this grey area. Um, Yeah. I, yeah, I completely agree with you on the Tilio aspect and the fighting of Tilio in particular, but I will say that this like willingness from Will to fight and be violent is a very interesting character development. And I actually really like it because it makes his character like unlike any like child protagonist that I've read before. It's a very mm. interesting trait to put on a 12 year old. Um, and it really makes you think about how he came to be that way. And yeah, I just think it's really interesting and really unique. Yeah. I will say that I'm definitely less surprised at Lyra treating Tullia the way that she does because she's not never had exp- like exposure or experience to anything like that in her world. I guess before we physically actually get to this fight point, they do attempt to avoid it by heading straight up past the room where Tullio is in order to get to this unusual like greenhouse-like structure on top of the building. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is where they find a poor old man that's been beaten to a pulp, which I do think then makes them potentially have a lot more of a wariness of Tullio knowing that he has is capable of doing that, of Mm -hmm. beating an elderly person and tying them up and perhaps his condition is what makes them so wary of him and so much more willing to fight because they know what he's capable of and that maybe makes more sense. Yeah, we get a really unusual description of the top of this building, which is like, yeah, some kind of weird greenhouse on top of the the roof. it's such a strange thing. Also, the way that it's described reminds me of my flat in the summer. (laughs) Just like fucking (laughs) boiling hot. It's all windows. It's a greenhouse. You will feel like a tomato all day long. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. It just like, it's actually really clever from Phil to have this roof be like half this like dodgy greenhouse, half this like metal roof that's slanted because it puts the fight in such, like it frames it more as like dangerous because like, they could fucking fall off that roof at any point. As soon as it was described, I was like, oh, hell no. Like, mm-hmm. this is the worst place for a fight. Yeah. <laughs> I just found it really confusing to read as well. I had yes. to really, like, reread the paragraph to, like, get the lay of the land. I'm still not really sure, like, to be honest. <laughs> but but there we go. It doesn't last too long, so we don't have to be that sure. <laughs> yeah. They untie the old man who initially is wary of them and they have to reassure him that they're okay they're not going to hurt him he tells them his name is Giacomo Paradisi thank you TV series for helping me yeah, learn how yeah, to pronounce yeah. that name <laughs> oh oh before can can we just say that um I really wanted to pull this bit out um they'd been sure that there was only one man in the tower Pantaliman was so startled that he changed at once from a cat to a bird and flew to Lyra's breast Will and Lyra realised as he did so that they'd seized each other's hand and let go slowly. Oh, Ooh. these two, these two. That's like, the, like a rom-com moment to I, me. I know. That's like <laughs> the first bit of like 
proper physical contact between them that we've seen really that is meaningful that wasn't them having a massive fight when they very first met yeah yeah <laughs> i love that moment it's a classic like it's it's pulled from like the like movie writing book writing pl- like playbook of like oh and they held hands and then they were embarrassed that they were holding hands <laughs> yeah oh there's another bit here that um i wanted to pull out um and it kind of ties in with the whole like we're not feeling Lyra's vibe about it being her fault so they're talking about who should go up onto the roof first and um Will says better go and see I'll go first I ought to go first she whispered back soon as it's my fault soon as it's your fault you've got to do as I say she twisted her lip but fell in behind him and in the tv show they did this really well they did it like very like tongue-in-cheek like um they're having a bit of a laugh with each other, if I remember correctly. It wasn't like a serious moment between them. But this it feels really serious to me. And it feels like Lyra is doing that thing again that we mentioned earlier. And it one I, we've brought up this email so many times. But one of our listeners, Reed, emailed, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Reed, emailed us a long time ago, way before we'd started The Soul Knife and asked us what we thought about Will and Lyra's relationship. And let me just get the email up so that I am reading it correctly. Reed said, But what is really irking me about book two is how Lyra's becoming all submissive to Will. Like, I know she fucked up with losing the lithiometer, but now she's all, I'm so sorry, Will, I ruined everything, and I I will only ever do what you want. And he's basically like, yeah, cool. And they said, I'm listening to the audiobook, so maybe it's the acting that's a little bit extra, but still. And I, at this moment in time, like, I am inclined to agree with that. I am not here for what's happening. I know we kind of, we brought, like I said, we've mentioned this email a million times. We even brought it up to Daphne when we interviewed her. And she gave us that lovely insight of, like, Lyra not being herself because of the grief that she's going through. And I understand that. But I just don't don't like where this is going. Yeah, part of me is going, Will's just trying to, get through this moment keeping people safe and perhaps he's going like right now I don't have time to Mm. sit down with you and talk about how you really need to stop blaming yourself for this and like that we're just going to get through it and perhaps he's being like the best response to this is yeah and being as it's your fault you've got to listen to me and that then therefore you know I'm he's still doing what he thinks is morally right which is going through the door first or whatever and if you want to you can read it tongue in cheek and jokey and it comes off fine but if you read it mega serious he could come off quite harsh and not very cool and trying to work out where the benefit of the doubt sits is really hard and you can read it so many different ways and i i now need to go back and listen to that chapter of the audiobook again because mm. i can't remember how harsh it comes off but i do know that i'm not a huge fan of lyra's voice in the audiobook so <laughs> i have i worry that she would have a tendency to come off like a little bit like simpering to will as opposed mm. to like the strong but sad Lyra that I think I'm reading right now yeah yeah it's an interesting one I'd definitely like to keep an eye on it and like see how it progresses throughout the book because I always loved The Subtle Knife's my favorite of the three and I always loved Will as a character um so I definitely didn't didn't really pick up on it in my first read through so yeah I'm interested to keep an eye on it so anyway we are on the roof we've met we've met Giacomo We've untied Giacomo. We've untied him. <laughs> He's explained that he he keeps saying, like, I'm the bearer, no one else. He stole it from me. 
Uh, he says, there's always fools that take risks like that for the sake of the knife, but this one is desperate. He's going to kill me. And it's, he's thrown around a bunch of terms that Lyra and Will don't necessarily understand. Lyra asks, what does he mean? He's like, I hold the subtle knife on behalf of the guild. Oh my God. And then, Title of a book. Hello. Yeah, everybody drink. <laughs> <laughs> also, I will say, just on that point, I really expected subtle knife, the actual words, to be capitalised. It seems weird to me that it's not. Especially coming from him. I feel yeah. like maybe Lyra and Will wouldn't capitalise it because they don't really know what it is, but he puts importance into the knife because he knows what it is and what it does, so I feel like he would. Yeah, it's weird to me. I just always... I think it's maybe because we've seen the book title so many times, like referenced across whatever, and then when you see it written in a sentence, it just feels like it should be capitalised. But anyway. Tilio pops up behind them. <laughs> the young man pops up behind them. Pan immediately becomes a good bear because bears are big and scary and he wants to do him a frighten. I love Pan's quick thinking in that moment. But also I love the idea that if you were to just like sneak up on him and surprise him, he'd just turn into a bear. Yeah. Yeah. And then this is where we get a further description of the man being crazy and <sighs> Will steps up straight away and is immediately ready for a fight. And this is what I was referring to earlier when I said that I see this for Will in the sense of like he's been bullied you kind of just have to get into that mindset depending on how badly you've been affected by what's happened to you. Um, you're always on edge. Um, and I will say as well, just growing up with a sibling is is quite similar because like me and my sister used to fight all the time, like physically fight. Um, and there's a bit in this description where it says that um, you had to be willing to hurt someone else. And he'd found that not many people were when it came to it, but that he was. And like the description of the fight is that it's not about being good at fighting. It's about hurting the other person. That describes my fights with my sister so well. Oh, like no. <laughs> all we wanted to do was hurt each other. It was like, who could hurt each other the most? We're fine now. We're, we're best pals now. But um, but yeah, it's very sibling-y, I, th- I feel, that, that way of fighting. It's like you're just trying to do not the most damage because you don't want to do any serious damage, but... You're just trying to, like, hurt the other person a little bit. See, I never physically fought with my sister. I just, like, sneakily stole all her clothes and CDs (laughs) and DVDs. (laughs) And she'd just, like, yeah. I swear sometimes she'd just go into her room and, like, half her stuff would be gone because I'd have just, like, moved it to my room. I just wanted to be her. (laughs) If I'd have done that to my sister, we would have definitely had a fight. She'd just steal it back. (laughs) It was fine. (laughs) So this is basically the fight, right? They have a fight. And there's like lots of description of it, lots of like um, fist flying, like a lot of hair pulling, a lot of Lyra, like trying to get involved, but then kind of just leaving leaving them to it in a way. Um, the young man straight away is like slashing with the knife. So I can kind of understand, like, I feel like I'm going to end up taking back everything that I said at the beginning, but like, I kind of understand why they're so immediately like, oh, okay, this is a fight for our lives because this person is slashing very wildly with a knife, like yeah. immediately, like there's very definitely like life in danger. Yeah, there's a lot of like darting to and fro and crashing onto things. And at a certain point, the knife flies out of Tulio's hand. And I love this. Um, he did have time to see the knife fly from the man's hand and sink at once into the lad some feet away, point first, with no more resistance than if it had fallen into butter. It plunged as far as the hilt and stopped suddenly. Ooh, why does nice knife so sharp? <laughs> oh my God, I love that so much. And this is where I really, really picture that shot from the TV show where it flies out of his hand and like 
it's in the, the it's floor. so vivid isn't it yeah so vivid and i just fucking love that i love i love this chapter for the descriptions and the action that happens i actually think it's probably one of my favorite chapters of the entire of the three first books i just it's so great it's so iconic it's like the first meeting of the subtle knife and you know we're only like over halfway through the book and we finally met the title object (laughs) yeah exactly so I, i don't know if it's before or after the bit that you just read but there's a bit that like literally made my heart drop and I can just imagine how fucking terrifying it is where Will's like clambering backwards because he's been winded by Tullia and he puts his foot in the gutter and he thinks that he's gonna die but all I'm imagining his foot is his foot just sticking through a <laughs> hole in a wall <laughs> and honestly like even reading it like obviously you can imagine that if you saw that on screen we didn't get that in the tv show but if you saw that on screen you'd be like <gasps> but even in the book I was like oh my fucking god And like, you can just imagine, like, he's like scrambling and he thinks he's going to fall and his little foot's just sticking out of the gutter. But it's that thing where it's like, oh, that felt like a near death. Oh, wait, no, I'm completely safe. That was totally just my body tricking me into thinking I was in mortal peril. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. Will sees that the man is making for the knife. Somehow he's got it again. Will grabs the rope that Lyra untied the man with Mm -hmm. and wraps it around his hand to protect himself. Uh, oh, we get another great description of Lyra being like a wildcat because we love wildcat Lyra. Um, she leaps onto Tullio's back and she's scratching and biting and kicking like a wildcat and we love to see wildcat Lyra. We yes. do, we do. I will say as well, it's really clever. We said this when we saw Watch the TV show episode, but it's really, really clever that Will wraps the, his hand in the rope mm-hmm. to protect himself from the knife. Like that's not something that I would have, have thought to do if I was in that situation. Yeah, I just really love it as a detail. And also I really love it as a detail that like delays and disguises the actual yeah. finger chop moment. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I just really love that it's that thing where it's so fast and it's so sharp and it's so, you can't, you don't even notice it happen in the moment. You're just like, why am I suddenly covered in blood and in loads of pain? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's an, if we're going to talk about, okay, if we're going to talk about the fingers cutting off moment, mm-hmm. amazing, love it, hit it for Will, but such a good point in the story. I remember when I first read it, I was so shocked. I didn't think that that would happen. Like, this is a child and you've cut their fingers off. Oh my God. When does it actually happen? It's not written there. That's it's not, what is I love. it? It's not. So, Will has the rope. He has he's like maneuvered himself into the corner he's like moved so that the sunlight is in the guy's eyes and Mm -hmm. also glinting off of the glass of the roof uh will leapt after him hitting with both hands and kicking again and again this is with the rope wrapped around his hand kicking whatever parts he could reach driving the man back and back towards the glass house if he could get him to top to the top of the stairs this time the man fell more heavily and his right hand with the knife in it came down on the lead at will's feet will stamped on it at once hard crushing the man's fingers between the hilt and the lead and then wrapped the rope more tightly around his hand and stamped a second time the man yelled and let go of the knife at once will kicked it away his shoe connecting with the hilt luckily for him oh my god it's so stressful (laughs) and it spun across the lead and came to rest at the gutter just beside the drainage hole the rope had come loose around his hand once more and there seemed to be a surprising amount of blood from somewhere sprinkled on the lead his own shoes where 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 did he where because the other bit that i was thinking was 
The, the bit before that, it says he leapt to the man's left, away from the knife, holding his left hand high and kicked hard at the man's knee. He'd taken care to aim, his foot connected well. The man went down with a loud grunt and twisted away awkwardly. There's those two bits where it could have happened, but it's not, like, explicit. No. We just don't know. And then it's like, all of a sudden, this guy's... Obviously, the knife is out of his hands. He's fallen away. He falls through the glass and then he falls even further and then he runs away, basically. Because, like, and Will has, like, picks up the knife and he has it and the man runs away. And then Will is suddenly like, oh, fuck, my fingers have come off. Like, <laughs> it, there's no. I, I kind of love that. It's like, because you're reading this fight so frantically as well. Like, it's so fast paced and there's so much happening. And it makes you, when you realise that his fingers have gone, it makes you want to read back through it to try and find where it happened. But the fact that it's just not written, it's just, I love it. It's just so right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's so good. I, I'm just, it's just great. So his head swam. Blood was pulsing strongly from the stumps where his fingers had been and his jeans and shoes were sodden already. He had to lie back and close his eyes for a moment. The pain wasn't that great and a part of his mind registered that with a dull surprise. It was like a persistent deep hammer thud more than the bright sharp clarity when you cut yourself superficially. I There's so many things I could read out in this bit and I I just love it so much. Like, we hate it. We hate to we... see one of our favourite characters in pain, but also it's very well written. And also, <laughs> and you, here for the gore. you know, I love gross things and gore and all that kind of stuff. And it's just so shocking. It's such a shocking moment. Lyra is immediately on it for like being helpful. And she's like, I wish we had blood mass. I wish we could do this. And she's trying to get him to get up. And I just love that, like, it's such a beautiful, like, abstract moment. And I can just see it so crisply. Is they're trying to, like, get him up and get him to move and like tie his arm and stuff and it's like he let her do it and looked around for his fingers there they were curled like a bloody quotation mark on the lead he laughed (laughs) i am obsessed with that moment i love it so much he's obviously in shock and in pain and i relate to him laughing so much i always laugh at really inappropriate moments and i've been known to laugh like when i'm in shock or like something horrendous has happened to me or whatever um and i i fucking love it I love that he laughed. Well, so here's the thing. I obviously did some Googling about what you need to do when you get your fingers chopped off. Amazing. Sources vary. So if Will was going to attempt to have his fingers reattached, the things vary between like how you're supposed to look after your severed fingers. Importantly and confusingly, of the two leading like websites that I found, the NHS website says do not rinse the fingers that Mm. are off. Do not rinse them in water. And another source says, wash them. Ooh. But the most important thing is if you're going to put them on ice, wrap them in something first. Wrap them in like clean fabric or something. Do not put them in like direct contact with the ice because that can then damage the flesh if you Uh, want to get the same back on. But more relevant to this moment, I think, because I'm pretty sure that there's no surgeons in this tower, are signs of shock, which I think is really important. So shock usually happens if somebody's lost a large amount of blood or like had a severe injury signs of shock include let's tick these off as we think about what will's going through over the next (laughs) over the rest of this chapter uh pale cold clammy skin sweating rapid shallow breathing weakness and dizziness feeling sick and possibly vomiting thirst yawning and sighing 
This can also include changes in mood and temperament and in long-term situations can lead to like irritability or finding weird things funny. (laughs) Is that on the the NHS website? So it includes like um, change in temperament. Mm. I, I added finding weird things Okay, funny. I was like, wow, that seems but, weird to be on the NHS website. Um, but the, yeah. the bit where it's like you might become irritated, no shit. Yeah, like. right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, Giacomo is not doing his job properly because if Will is in shock, which is highly likely because he's probably lost a lot of blood, it is obviously treat any obvious injuries, sure. Lie the person down, if possible. You uh, Raise their legs Um Use a coat or blanket to keep them warm and do not give them anything to eat or drink. So stop forcing the boy to drink wine. This <laughs> or is like brandy. Yeah, like I didn't Google it, so like thankfully you did, but I had I made a note that I was like, that seems to happen that seems to be like a trope in a lot of like things that I've seen or read. That like if somebody's been like severely injured or been through like some kind of physical trauma, somebody will always give them some kind of like booze. And I'm like, is that a thing that helps? Like, no, it surely it doesn't. I mean, it I can see, the blood. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. I can see how it would um, obviously help if you're in a lot of pain, because, like, let's face it, when you drink alcohol, it kind of numbs all that kind of like it has anesthetic properties. Yeah, and also just in general, when you feel a bit tipsy, you generally feel a little bit like out of it, and it might help with like that kind of shit. But surely it can't be a thing that that helps any kind of injury also definitely not in a 12 year old um for one thing his tiny liver yeah it's probably his first like sip of alcohol ever oh my god also a fun thing that i learned is that fingers do not have any muscles that do any actual bending in them which i feel like i knew this all of the bending of your fingers is done by the muscles in the back of your hand wow um so you don't actually have any so once you have like fleshiness and muscliness on your fingers that does nothing for the actual bending of your fingers wow yeah and your middle finger is uh like is attached to your ring finger like Mm -hmm. by the same muscle so there's a thing that you can do if you put your fingers down on the table and you took your ring finger or is it you took your middle finger underneath like this Mm -hmm. And then you try and like raise your thumb and it raises. You try and raise your forefinger and it raises like if you put it down on the table. Oh. And then you try and raise your little finger and it's easy to lift up. And you can't lift your middle, your ring finger oh if God. your middle finger's tucked under your hand. I don't like it. I don't like it. It's that. because they're attached to that. It's the same one muscle that like controls those two. So if you like restrict one. That's why it's difficult to like, some people can do like that kind of shit. And yeah. Sorry, yeah. everyone listening. The, the Spock thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and other people can't. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, I didn't. I didn't like doing that thing. The <laughs> complexities the of the human hand is actually really terrifying if you get mm. into it, especially because like all of the different like nerve endings that exist in the fingers. Like your fingers are. Fun fact: aside from your genitals, which have a lot of nerve endings, in your fingers are like one of the most concentrated parts of nerve endings in the entirety of the skin on your body and like people have been doing experiments to see how finer detail you can pick up with your fingers and it's like finer than you can see with your eyes and then like if you think about it like a fucking course because like think about how complex it would be to like read braille and people read Mm. braille with their fingertips all the time like that's amazing fingers are so important i feel so bad for will right now (laughs) oh will no like honestly the poor boy 
And I'm also intrigued to know where they got chopped. I obviously then Googled finger anatomy. <laughs> Your finger consists of three joints. The metacarpal phalangeal joint, also known as the knuckle joint. So that's between the base of your hand, it's like your palm, and like where your fingers start on the knuckle. But then there's the proximal interphalangeal joint, which is between the bottom and the middle. So what that, I think yeah, that's yeah. where they went for in the TV series. So yeah. he still has two little stumpies. And then there is the distal interphalangeal joint, which is between the fingertip and the middle. So... Where do we think he got cut? <laughs> it's what we want to know. I think it must be close to the bottom because Lyra says she couldn't tie anything around it. Yeah. So it must be quite close to the bottom. And I'm intrigued to see if that remains consistent throughout the books. Mm. <laughs> it's what I want to know if he has any, any fingers wow. left at all. Because in the TV series, they definitely went for that middle knuckle joint, the like proximal interphalangeal mm-hmm. joint. Look at me with my medical knowledge. Wow. <laughs> of having Googled finger bones. <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh my God. I was just going <laughs> to... I was going to say finger corner with Rich and that sounds really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> my Google search history makes it look like I'm some kind of mob enforcer because I've been looking up like cutting off fingers, <laughs> basically. <laughs> it's really well. bad. Also, just culturally, really interesting. There's some cultures where like there's evidence of like historically like way back cultures like um voluntarily like amputating finger fingers at like the first couple of joints as like a cultural practice and that still exists in some like small subsects of like cultures and stuff today and some Mm. of it is to do with like i read a really interesting one that was to do with grief and there's a particular um tribe of peoples who uh will amputate a small section of their finger as a part of their like funerary rituals because they've want a physical manifestation of their emotional pain wow. it's like, oh my gosh that's really intense <laughs> but like so interesting like mm. hands they 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 mean so much <laughs> <laughs> they do they do wow rich that was quite the research i loved it thank you <laughs> i've done none all this chapter <laughs> oh okay so i would like to actually pass this bit over to you, Rich, because I know how much it tickles you. And it is the bit where uh, Jacoba says, oh, I've got this stuff that's really going to help you. <laughs> Will has just had his hand like washed and rinsed by Jacomo, And then there was a coolness for a moment and it hurt again. This is precious ointment, the old man said. Very difficult to obtain. Very good for wounds. It was a dusty, battered tube of ordinary antiseptic cream, such as Will could have bought in any chemist shop in his world. The old man was handling it as if it were made of myrrh. Will looked away. And I just love... I'm surprised he didn't laugh again, to be honest. Like, again, it's a really, like, crystal clear moment in my head. Yeah. And, like, I'm very much picturing Savlon. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah uh, we I, I grew up in a savlon family like that mm-hmm. would be my like mum's go-to for like cuts and grazes would be savlon but like also there's like germaline which i recently have been has been one that people have said that it's like good on tattoos and then some people are a pseudocrime family like they're the main brands that i but all yeah. the idea of him picking up any of those things just tickles it's me so <laughs> funny and we were talking about how we were like, oh, like they didn't do it in the TV show. I understand why they didn't. Like there was no space for like a comedic moment really in the show. Yeah. <laughs> but like this is so fucking funny to me. And like 
Also, how the fuck could you put antiseptic cream on a wound that will be gushing blood? Like, it's it would just... just flow away with the blood. It's not going to do anything. It's literally like, um, ah, what's that? I'm sure there's like a turn of phrase that's like, well, it's like trying to like brush back the sea with a broom. Like, yes. <laughs> Or is it the boy that sticks his finger in the dam to stop the dam? It's like, it's yeah. not a thing. Like, you, there's nothing that's going to fix this right now. Like, it's aside from some kind of, like, major surgery and, like, yeah. a lot of rest and elevation and tourniqueting and all of the things that, like, they've done a tourniquet. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not getting rest and elevation because they're immediately getting him back up on his feet to learn some stuff. And, like, I get that yeah. it's urgent, but also... No. <laughs> no. Let him rest. Do what the shock manual says. Like, elevate his <laughs> legs. Keep an eye on him. Don't give him alcohol. <laughs> they just don't know. They just don't know all. Lyra feels Pan calling to her silently, which is helpful for my theory of that they can communicate telepathically that we spoke about last episode. And we go to a really sad bit here, which actually also reminds me of you, Rich, because whenever you talk about the subtle knife, you always talk about this bit uh, with uh, Tullia and counting the bricks, etc. It says, She saw a familiar figure. The girl Angelica was running towards her elder brother, Tullia, who stood with his back against the wall on the other side of the narrow street, waving his arms in the air as if trying to keep a flock of bats from his face. Then he turned away and began to run his hands along the stones in the wall, looking closely at each one, counting them, feeling the edges, hunching up his shoulders as, as if warding off something behind him, shaking his head. Angelica was desperate and so was little Paolo behind her, and they reached their brother and seized his arms and tried to pull him away from whatever was troubling him. Lyra realised with a jolt of sickness what was happening. The man was being attacked by spectres. Yeah. It's really sad. I've mentioned the TV show so much, but one thing that I wanted to ask is, we, in the TV show in season one, do we or do we not see Will's mum counting bricks and counting other things? And it is mentioned in the book when Will's recounting his time with his mother and how she would have to count all the railings in the park. Um, is it mentioned like in the book? Because I, I went back to look and I couldn't see it, but I might have just uh, like, okay. skipped over it. It might have been a different, uh, I don't think it's in his like initial flashback, but it's, it is a thing that his mum would like count things, I think. And so that for me draws like a really clear parallel between getting spectred and mental illness in a lot of ways. Whether that's supposed to be any kind of like clear line that Phil is drawing in the books or whether it's just like, here's an interesting comparison slash parallel that you can draw that isn't an actual physical similarity well that was the reason i brought it up really because i was wondering if in the tv show they did that with uh they had his mum count things because in the tv show we didn't see tullia counting bricks when he got spectred it was very like it was quite like a horror film moment wasn't it of like it's very vampire attack vibes yeah yeah so i was wondering whether they put will's mum counting bricks in in the first series because they knew they weren't going to do that with Tullia in yeah. the second Maybe. season. Lyra's witnessed Tullio being attacked. I find it really, really emotional reading this. I don't mm-hmm. know why. Like, I, I can just read... Again, this chapter's full of moments that are just really, like, vivid for me. And yeah. this is one of them. And then, especially of... I think it's because Lyra's witnessing something from afar that's... It's not an intimate moment, but it's kind of a horrifying moment. And it's kind of a moment that 
she definitely shouldn't be witnessing. And then the fact that Angelica and Paolo find him and they're like pulling at him and trying to get his attention. And then just like in a moment, Angelica seems to feel that Lyra is watching her and she looks up and their eyes meet and like Lyra knows, like she knows she's in trouble. It's fucking terrifying. Yeah, that that feeling of like guilt and like in some way you've like invaded a private moment and that also like this thing that's happening is your fault and like oh I, it just I can feel Angelica looking at me you know what I mean uh, yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. yeah it's terrifying and also little Paula being like we'll kill you you've done this to Tilia we're gonna kill you all right oh, oh Paula Lyra decides not to tell Will about this because he's got too much going on he's just lost his fingers bless him I think that's quite like nice and protective and like yeah I think that's a really good decision from Lyra he doesn't need to know right now and I like that she's like I'm gonna protect him now (laughs) so they bandage up Will's hand and then this is when Jacoba just gives Will the knife Will is like I don't want that thing why are you trying to give me that thing that thing has done me a real bad (laughs) yeah he's like you haven't got a choice you're the bearer now you're the slayer now a new slayer has been chosen yeah. When the old one dies, the new one is called. This. I'm sorry. It's so. It's so Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like, yeah. One boy in all the world, indeed, has been chosen to bear the knife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Okay, we're gonna have to re-record yeah. the Buffy intro, but to make it about the knife bearer. Yeah. <laughs> and then also to make it about Lyra's prophecy, it's gonna happen. We're gonna do it. I'm gonna find that backing track. <laughs> I'm gonna write that script. <laughs> Also thinking about Will being the bearer and Buffy being the slayer and how Buffy dies and comes back to life and we get Faith. I'm like, could that happen with Will? Like, how would that happen? But they had to have like a fight that like maybe ended in somebody else winning, but then it turned out they didn't win. So like another bearer, like that person became the bearer, but then it turned out that Will was also still the bearer. I also was thinking about this in terms of like, so... The knife seems to be choosing its bearer at this point, but obviously at some point... It's very the one to choose as the wizard. <laughs> it's very the one to drink, Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, very the one chooses the wizard. And also, it's very... I wonder if the knife choosing the bearer is a recent occurrence, like a post-spectre disaster occurrence that's like... I just personally cannot see the knife choosing the bearer and the knife consistently choosing the white male patriarchy that's living in that shitty little tower. I can see them being like volunteering to be the person that becomes the bearer and like forcing that system somehow. I don't know. But I feel like maybe the knife is addressing the imbalance by now being like, no, I'm choosing my own bearer because you've fucked everything up. (laughs) It depends who wins the fight against the bearer, right? So like the knife doesn't choose anyone. Like it's whoever wins the fight. It's like the Elder Wand in Harry Potter. You have to win the fight to have it. That's how that was how I read it. You do, but also it does kind of say that the knife has chosen him, right? Because And also Tilia is not the bearer. No. Giacomo is. Yeah. So that would that would go with your theory, because obviously Will would have to fight if my theory was correct, Will would have to fight Giacomo, which he didn't do. Mm. So yeah, maybe I'm just yeah, maybe that's wrong completely. I just, yeah, I just kind of question that if the knife is kind of in some way choosing the bearer, why it would have consistently chosen a lineage of 
rich white men that steal and leave windows open and let spectres mm. into the world when it could be choosing like br- brave brave young boys like Will. Oh. <laughs> I suppose it depends how it was made and the purpose of why it was made, right? Interesting thoughts though. I'd not really thought about that before. I'd always thought my th- about my theory and then I've only just realised now that it can't be that because you didn't even fight Giacomo. No. But also the idea that the idea that once the knife has passed over bearer ship, mm-hmm. um, that the old bearer would be soon to die after, is that just because of the spectres? Is that just so how it happens right now? Mm. Because Giacomo's obviously not got long left because he's been beaten to a pulp and also the spectres. Like he mentions that there's usually longer to kind of impart his wisdom or like between one bear and the next. So then like how, I need, I want to know, I want to know the systems, I want to know the like, the lineage and yeah, and how the knife system works. Yeah, is it kind of, is it a thing where like if you're the bearer, you have it until you're like old and like your death is coming, but like obviously Giacomo's is coming really soon because of the spectres, but when he says we usually have longer, is it like you hit around a certain age where like you can't really use the knife properly anyway and then you or the knife like picks somebody else and then you have to impart that wisdom onto them and you have a bit more time to do that and then you die? Is there like a knife bearer training academy where lots of people are like training to be worthy of being the bearer and then (laughs) at some point there's some kind of final exam where like the winner loses two fingers? Like, (laughs) I want to know. Oh, yeah, it's so interesting. So, Will doesn't want it. We have this conversation about Giacomo's time is over. It's Will's whether he wants it or not. We learn that Giacomo lost the same two fingers. And then Will's like, yeah, but we only came here because we were trying to get the knife for fucking Creepy Charles. Like, why am I now the fucking bearer? What the hell? Yes. I love that Giacomo's response to that is like, I know that man. He's a liar and a cheat. He wouldn't give you anything, make no mistake. He wants the knife and once he has it, he'll betray you. He will never be the bearer. The knife is yours by right. And I like this, like, I know her. She's a life ruiner. She ruins people's lives. (laughs) (laughs) It feels sassy, is what I'm saying. Yeah, it is. It is. This description of the knife, it made me tear up. Like, I, I don't know why. I just felt so emotional. So literally all of my notes for the next few pages are like, read this paragraph, read this paragraph. So this is the part of the podcast where we essentially become an audio book because we can't (laughs) say anything better than how it's written because it's so beautifully written. Yeah, I will say that um, bravo to Michael VK on Twitter, who is one of the prop designers and prop makers on the TV show, because him and his team must have literally, like literally, they picked this description off the page and they made the knife for the TV show, and it is literally exactly like this description. Mm-hmm. It's so and pretty. It's perfect. It's so pretty. I love that it's very simple because the knife is very much described as being like quite simple and ordinary looking, but then also, like, if you look closely, it's fucking beautiful. <laughs> My question about that so we get um, Will describes a knife earlier as when Tilia is holding it as being dull and there's nothing special about it, like you just said. But when he has the knife and when he's the bearer, we learn that it's like, it sits really nicely in his hand and actually it's really beautiful. Do you think you have to be the bearer to notice how like beautiful and amazing this knife is and to anyone else it just looks dull as shit? Maybe. But also I don't know if it's just that thing of like how the like metal looks because like Lyra says that she recognises the look of the metal from the guillotine, the silver guillotine. Mm. And it also sounds very similar to the metal of that extra needle on the alethiometer. Mm. 
all of these things is kind of like this weird unknown metal that's like dull but shimmery and like cloudy but clear and hard to describe and i wonder if it's just yeah the light that you're looking at it in maybe Mm -hmm. i wonder so um, i will read the description so with a heavy reluctance will turned to the knife itself he pulled it towards him it was an ordinary looking dagger with a double-sided blade of dull metal about eight inches long a short cross piece of the same metal and a handle of rosewood as he looked at it more closely, he saw that the rosewood was inlaid with golden wires, forming a design he didn't recognise till he turned the knife around and saw an angel with wings folded. On the other side was a different angel with wings upraised. The wires stood out a little from the surface, giving a firm grip, and as he picked it up, he felt that it was light in his hand and strong and beautifully balanced, and that the blade was not dull after all. In fact, a swirl of cloudy colours seemed to live just under the surface of the metal. Bruised purples, sea blues... Earth browns, cloud greys, and the deep green under heavy foliage trees, the clustering shades at the mouth of a tomb as evening falls over a deserted graveyard. If there was such a thing as shadow coloured, it would be the blade of the subtle knife. Drink, subtle knife, drink. Ah, I just, I fucking love it so much. I love the description of those colours. It really reminds me of when you see, like, oil. Mm -hmm. um, like a puddle of oil and all the, like, colours in there, and it's just so fucking beautiful. I love that they're all described as, like, dull colours as well yeah. they're all really like bright dark dull colours if that makes sense like it's no, not totally. it's not like oh it's a beautiful shimmering rainbow it's so magical it's like no it's an inky oily mysteriously dark and dull thing but that's captivating I love it and it also makes me think of you know the bags that are really popular right now like that weird fabric that's really popular it's like sheeny gray but it's got rainbows yes. inside it and if you like do a camera flash at it it looks really bright yeah mm -hmm. that yeah. is what it makes mm -hmm. me think of fashion mm -hmm. yeah and we learn that the two edges look different as well i'm just gonna read it again i should as well it's really it. just being an audiobook <laughs> <laughs> one was clear bright steel merging a little way back into the subtle shadow colours but steel of an incomparable sharpness will's eye shrank back from looking at it so sharp did it seem the other edge was just as keen but silvery in colour and lyra who was looking at it over will's shoulder said i seen that colour before that's the same as the blade they were going to cut me and pan apart with that's just the same and then we learn that that particular edge of the knife can cut three spoons <laughs> <laughs> can cut through spoons and can cut through anything, any material in the world. So, cutting through any material in the world. You know how Phil really loves Paradise Lost? I do, I do. There are suspicions, which are, I don't know how confirmed, but we know that Phil loves Paradise Lost and that was a big inspiration for these books. Mm -hmm. And in Paradise Lost, God gives Archangel Michael a sword from the armory of God. And I'm going to attempt to read this because it's written funny because it's paradise lost like it's hard <laughs> but i'm gonna try <laughs> but the sword of michael from the armory of god was given him tempered so that neither keen nor solid might resist that edge it met the sword of satan with steep force to smite descending and in half cut sheer nor stayed but with the swift wheel reverse deep entering shared all his right side and satan first knew pain Essentially, a sword that can cut through anything. And also that includes the devil. Um, <laughs> cutting, cutting through that devil. So potentially there are suspicions that that's where Phil got the ideal idea for the subtle knife from, which is a knife that can cut through anything in the world, including 
their world. Ah, <laughs> oh, amazing. We learn that the other edge is more subtle still. Thanks, Jacoba, for the wordplay. Can cut an opening out of this world altogether. We learn basically there's the window that they found was cut by the subtle knife, and if you use the knife properly, you can cut into other worlds. Wow. Wowzers, what a knife. What a knife. Yes, yes. I guess it's because I've read the book so many times. Like, I feel like I have maybe lost a little bit of the wonder that comes from finding out that that's what the knife can do. And then you're like, ah, oh, is that where the windows come from? Is that how we're like, oh my God, it's something that can get between worlds without murdering Lyra's best friend? What? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah, totally. And just kind of looking back on that and be like, oh my God, this is the first time that we're like, that. that's what the knife does. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. And Giacomo's trying to get Will to like try to start using the knife and Will's like, I don't want to, I just have a fucking finger shot off. This is everything. This is, I just really feel this. Will is in loads of pain. Giacomo is like on him about like trying to like focus his mind to the tip of the knife and doing all this stuff. And Will just collapses. He can't do it. He's, um, and I just kind of want to read it out because I don't think we've ever seen him so vulnerable and it breaks my heart and I just want to give him a big hug. Mm -hmm. Will tried to do it, but his head was buzzing and his left hand throbbed horribly and he saw his two fingers again lying on the roof and he thought of his mother, his poor mother. What would she say? How would she comfort him? How could he ever comfort her? And he put the knife down on the table and crouched low, hugging his wounded hand and he cried. It was all too much to bear. The sobs racked his throat and his chest and the tears dazzled him. And he should and he should be crying for her, the poor, frightened, unhappy, dear beloved. He'd left her, he'd left her. He was desolate. But then he felt the strangest thing and brushed the back of his right wrist across his eyes to find Pantalaemon's head on his knee. The demon in the form of a wolfhound was gazing up at him with melting, sorrowing eyes. And then he gently licked Will's wounded hand again and again and laid his head on Will's knee once more. Ah, this, oh. again, really vivid moment. Like... It's everything. It's everything. Um, I feel so much for Will. I feel for Will piggybacking, again, piggybacking all of his trauma into one spot because he's feeling vulnerable and sad and yeah. in pain right now. Like, that is that is so much. And, like, mm -hmm. his mind just wondering to, like, I should be crying about the fact that my hand hurts, but I'm going to cry about how sad I am and how much I miss my mum. Is yeah. like, <sighs> that hurts. And then Pan putting his head on his knee. Pan touching will is such a huge moment it's so huge it's so deep and emotional and there's something so deep between these two between lyra and will deeper and like more they're deeper and like more connected than they know or like can understand right now but that is such a huge moment and the fact that it's coming from pan mm. it's coming from pan it's not coming from lyra lyra was breathtaking her demon had done it of his own initiative, and now he withdrew and fluttered to her shoulder as the smallest of moths. So he's like a... He's nipple. small and shy. Oh, he's so small and so shy. I just love that it surprised Lyra that that was in her. Mm -hmm. And it surprised... In her in the sense that her and Pan are one being, like, and that Pan did that. And, like, it's so compassionate for the Lyra that we know who can sometimes be a little bit obtuse. Like, it is, like, the epitome of, like reaching out to somebody and opening up to somebody in their most vulnerable moment and making yourself the most vulnerable you've ever been is like it's so raw and it's everything and 
I'm just gonna go cry. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, I love it. I lo- just love it so much. And Pan's gesture works, and it gives Will the strength to try again with the knife. And this time, it it works. Um, oh no, wait, it doesn't. What is it? Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, he he does and he doesn't. So he he's trying again, but he's like gripping, gritting his teeth, and he's like trying too hard. And um, Giacomo's like. Stop, relax, don't push. This is the subtle knife, not a heavy sword. <laughs> it's like, be subtle, bitch. Calm down, dude. <laughs> and like basically he's telling him to like relax. I just, again, this like, it's all very meditative. And I'm just gonna have to read it from the page because <laughs> we're an audiobook now. Sorry. Relax, don't push. This is a subtle knife, not a heavy sword. You're gripping it too tight. Loosen your fingers. Let your mind wander down your arm to your wrist and then into the handle and out along the blade. No hurry, go gently, don't force it, just wander, and then along to the tip where the edge is sharpest of all. You become the tip of the knife. Just do that now. Go there and feel that and then come back. And like, it feels very like when you do any kind of like meditation-y thing and it's like, and now sit and feel yourself in your body and let your mind roll to the end of your fingertips and feel your fingertips and back to your core and down to your feet and like it's very like ooh be in your body but I love it one thing that I really love about him learning to to cut through is the comparison that Lyra makes to his demon when they say that it's his soul that like comes out into the knife and flows through him from his heart down his arms into the knife I'd never made that connection before, that it was like, in a way, like Will's demon that's kind of making this happen, or it comes from a place within him that Lyra thinks his demon is, if he has one. And again, that's amazing, because it's basically, I draw the comparison, as I'm sure many people do, of it being very similar to how Lyra reads the alethiometer, although it's never really been mentioned that like Pan helps read the alethiometer, but we know that it's quite like a like uh i don't know like magically like dusty type thing which yeah. i feel is the same vibe for will i think there's never a point at which lyra is reading the alethiometer where pan isn't also focused on it yeah and like i imagine that if he was had to be elsewhere or had his focus pulled somewhere it might make lyra struggle with reading it but we've never really had that like specified basically he goes back and he does it again and he he makes a cut which is very exciting and because they're high up on the tower they've cut through to will's oxford but they're like super high up i love the way that this is described as him like feeling in the air with the silvery edge and he kind of like it's gone from him looking um like he's just waving this around like i imagine how tulio was to like it despite the fact that the movements are random they look purposed and he's clearly like feeling with the silver edge of the knife and then it describes him as like finding a snag in the empty air mm-hmm. i love that word snag for what that is like saying and again just tv series did that perfectly that like mm-hmm. finding that break in the air finding that snag and then the way that they then visualized it so that we could physically see it on screen was beautiful yeah and absolutely. i just love that description so much mm-hmm yeah. And it just brings to mind like a, the fabric of reality and like fabric with the way that it snags. Just yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then Will has to learn how to close because he can't be leaving it open. Mm-hmm. This is where he kind of has a bit of a wobble, right? And Lyra like steps in to help him. 
sorry, before that happens, when they open the air in the, into Oxford, Pan turns into a bird and flies out and eats a fly and comes back. So he eats, he eats. And yeah. I now have a theory that demons can eat, like vampires, demons can eat if they want to, but yeah. only for fun and not for sustenance. Like they don't yeah. have to, but if they feel like it, they can, which makes me now think that Pan would have licked his paws when he was dipping into the omelette. He just doesn't need to. Yeah, I put a note on that as well, obviously, because I'm always on Demon Watch. And I was like, that's so interesting to me that they had him do that. And I agree with you that I think it's just for fun, mm-hmm. which is also a bit mean of Pan. <laughs> like if he's not doing it for sus- like sustenance. Just ending a poor little fly's life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he- Pan would hurt a fly. We now know this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's canon. He would. Lyra speaks to Will here and this is a really nice moment between the two of them. She basically says, I know that you can't do it right now because you're in so much pain, but you kind of have to use that pain and acknowledge that the pain is there to be able to do this thing that you want to do. Like, don't push it aside. You have to embrace it. I love the way she describes it, um, which they didn't, it was not the way it was worded in the TV series and I really love the way that it is worded here. Is, um... (laughs) Also, the fact that Giacomo's a bit annoyed that Lyra's <laughs> trying to put in. He, like, raises his hands up to be like, whoa, 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 what are you trying to do getting involved? And Lyra's like, no, <laughs> I know this. <laughs> well, that's what I'm imagining their body language is doing. She says, you're, tr- you're trying to do two things with your mind, both at once. You're trying to ignore the pain and close the window. I remember when I was reading the alethiometer once when I was frightened, and maybe I was used to it by that time. I don't know. But I was still frightened all the time and I was reading it. Just sort of relax your mind and say, yes, it does hurt. I know. Don't try to shut it out. And I kind of love this. Like, oh, hey, is Lyra just giving us all like a little tiny moment of therapy to get through our daily lives right now? <laughs> it's like, yes. I think so. The world is a dumpster fire. But you just need to make a cup of tea and carry on with your day <laughs> because <laughs> you can't do anything about it right now. Yes. Yeah. It is very on the nose, I will yeah. say. <laughs> Yeah, so then he takes Lyra's advice and he manages to close the window. It was the easiest thing in the world, apparently. A Ziploc bag. <laughs> yes, Ziploc bag, yeah. And then the man uh, like gives him a leather, a leather sheath to put in the knife, but then I'm like, why doesn't the knife just cut through this immediately? Because of the buckles. <laughs> but wouldn't it cut through the buckles? No, so like the knife is holding, so the buckles are around the hilt. Uh, so essentially yeah, but- the thing is strapped firmly. Like, I, it makes perfect sense to me. The hilt of the knife and the handle of the knife are the only things that is actually being held firmly by the sheath. So it's like suspended. The the actual blade is like suspended in, in the air, essentially. Yeah, there's like an air gap around the blade. So like n- none of the actual knife is touching the sheath, I don't think, unless it's the flat sides. Amazing. But yeah. Love it. Mm-hmm. Love it. So this is when like Giacomo like starts to explain things. He said, if we had days and weeks, I could begin to tell you the story of the subtle knife and the guild of the Tower of the Angels <laughs> and the whole sorry history of this corrupt and careless world. The spectres are our fault and our fault alone. They came because my predecessors, alchemists, philosophers, men of learning, were making an inquiry into the deepest nature of things. They became curious about the bonds and held the smallest particles of matter together. So it's very much like what's already been said, really, is like getting confirmed here about the spectres. Mm. I love that he's like, if I had more time, I'd tell you the whole story, but I don't. So I'll tell you the whole story. (laughs) (laughs) So here it is. Here it is. And then Will asks, like, where do the spectres come from? Spectres are a mystery. But then it says, like, Giacomo was the one that left the window open that Will and Lyra came through, which is 
Why hasn't he closed it? Well, he says he left it open because he thought that in order to get Charles Latram off his back, he could lure him into the world that has the spectres in it. So he like left it open to be like, oh, and Charles will come after me and then he'll get spectred and then I can pop back and close it up. And then he just never came after him because he was too clever. And then do you think that Talia had already got to Giacomo by the time that he realised Charles wasn't going to come back through? So he yeah. couldn't go and close it? I think this might be the content of the lost episode. Oh, oh. Because we were told that Tullio featured more heavily in the lost episode than we knew. And I wonder if the Azrael episode... I'm back on the TV show. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, there's like a missing Azrael episode. But also I wonder if side plots of that were how Latrum finds out about the knife. Because they said they had to change the knife story as well, didn't they? Yeah. And that that had to get shortened down and condensed. And I wonder if there is more of a Giacomo and... Tullio and Latrim and Giacomo thing happening there and we learn more about how the window gets made. I don't know. Interesting. I really want to know. Yes. <laughs> Love it. But yes, he left it open himself in unforgivable foolishness because he was trying to trick Charles Latrim to come through it. And then he's just like, please never let him get it. <laughs> and then they look, at, they look at each other like, for fuck's sake. Please, misters, don't let that nasty mister get the knife. <laughs> I'm supposed to give it to him. <laughs> the knife rules. He tells them the knife rules. So, the first rule of knife club: don't tell anybody about knife club. Exactly. Although that's the fourth rule of knife knife club, actually. So, <laughs> never open without closing. Never let anyone else use the knife. Never use it for a base purpose. I assume that just means like selfish reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, keep it secret. I love this bit. If there are other rules, I've forgotten them. And if I've forgotten them, it means they don't matter. Love that. Yes. <laughs> love it. And it's so true. Like, I'm a very forgetful person, but I do definitely think in a situation where you're imparting, like, important wisdom, if you were the bearer of the knife and you've gone by these rules that you know are important because you've had experiences with them, there are other rules that don't really matter because you never had to deal with it. So, like, they don't matter. Mm -hmm. He says, but our world is crumbling and uh, I am... Feeling that? <sighs> Feeling that, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like, he's like, yeah, it's basically saying, you're the bearer, get over it. Yeah, it's shit, you're a child. It shouldn't be a child, but it is you. Go now, I'll die very soon because I know where there are poisonous drugs and I don't intend to wait for the spectres to come in. And they will once the knife is gone. So he's intending to poison himself uh, before the spectres can get to him. I think... When you're reading the chapter and he's explaining all this stuff and he's being quite, like, demanding of Will, it's really easy to forget that Giacomo Paradisi has been beaten to a bloody pulp. Yeah. And he is missing half his teeth and that one of his eyes can barely open and all mm -hmm. of this stuff. And, like, it's really... I just really like that it's we're reminded of it before we leave because Lyra is so reluctant to leave him and she yeah. knows that he is very vulnerable and she is really devastated about the fact that this man that's just terrifically changed their lives and given them the power to like walk between worlds is mm -hmm. gonna die now and she really does say it like they leave she's like oh you ain't really gonna poison yourself but they leave and she just says like she can't stop thinking about him and his poor teeth and they were all broken and he could hardly see out of his eye and he's just gonna swallow some poison and die now and i wish and she was she's gonna cry cause she's been through it all and i'm not surprised because like She's been holding it together while Will's been having his wobble and now she needs a wobble. Mm -hmm. And um, Will is now holding it together for her when he's like, it's, you know, this is it, it's his decision. And like, it just, 
Yeah, I just think it's really important to remember that whilst I've been taking the piss out of Giacomo for being a bit demanding and a bit sassy, he is really struggling. (laughs) Yeah, and usually I would be like with Lyra in this situation and be like, oh my god, like I do feel, I don't, don't get me wrong, I do feel for him. Um, but I'm also kind of with Will in the sense that like it seems like this was how his life was supposed to end. Um, there's a reason why he was being kept in that tower. Like all this, we always talk about like destiny and all that kind of stuff, like fate. And this is, this seems very much like that. Um, and I feel like Will gets that. Um, and like you said, he's trying to help Lyra with her wobble as well, but it feels very fitting that this is how he would go. And also I'm totally hundred percent with him in the sense that I would also take poisonous drugs rather than get spectred. Yeah. It is a thing, as you were speaking, my brain just went, ooh, Will is ex- Will and Giacomo are accepting of their destiny at this point, and Lyra is not accepting of that destiny, and Lyra is destined to bring about the end of destiny. No fucking wonder, because she's been hurt by it so much in the past. No, oh, so much destiny. And it's like a... <laughs> just like big core like character moment there where it's like like like, of course like of course lyra isn't willing to accept this thing that feels vaguely destiny based because she's destined to say fuck you to destiny (laughs) very true and also what happened to roger was very much destiny based and i don't think lyra can see that yet so i think any kind of big moment like this that feels kind of similar she would be very much against it Unless it's doing something good for them, like giving them a magical knife, but you know, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Like when it involves death, it's a big no no, but if it's a knife, yeah. then sure. So they're like, Well, what do we do now? We can't give Charles the knife. And Will's like, Well, that's easy. We've got to get the alethiometer back somehow, so we'll have to steal it. That's what we're gonna do. And the next chapter's called Theft. Whoa! And the little icon on the chapter is a monkey. Oh my god, what's gonna happen? <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my god. (laughs) Whoa. Oh my god. Whoa. What a fucking chapter though. I know I said it at the beginning, but I really, really love that chapter. It's a difficult one to delve into just because of the density of it and just how much is in there. It's a heavy chapter. But not like heavy and like exposition-y and wordy. It's just there's just like loads of really important content. Yeah. And I think like so far in the books, uh, including Northern Lights, this is the chapter that has changed the course of the story the most um because when lyra gets the alethiometer in the first book it's very much a lot you spend a lot of chapters with her while she's trying to figure it out and we don't really know too much what it does yet and all that kind of stuff but the knife is there in your face straight away you learn the two things that it does and you see immediately how it can be used to help them would you say that this opens up a lot of doors for them It opens up a lot of windows for them. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (sighs) But yeah, it's such a great chapter. Definitely one of my favourites. So much emotion. There's so much action. There's a massive, like, entire plot course altering event. It's big. It's a lot. It's approximately halfway through and... Mm -hmm. Shit's starting to hit some fans (laughs) pretty quickly. And I kind of... I'm amazed that Phil dragged it out this long before we got to meet the thing that's on the cover of the book. Um, I'm here for it. And it was worth the wait because, yeah, that's a really good chapter. It's a lot. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's 
a lot. <laughs> it is. It, oh God, I, I love it. I love it so much. Do you have an award to give out? It's a really close call between Giacomo, because we're never going to see him again, and he just did a, a really good big thing, and my forever award that always goes to Pan because he's such a fucking sweetheart. Um, <laughs> and so I don't know. I feel like maybe Giacomo, Pan will probably have big moments in the future that I can reward him for. And this is a one-time meeting with Giacomo. He did a big, so. That's true. So it's for you, guild man. Oh, bless him. And his, and his Savlon. <laughs> and his Savlon. Yeah, yeah. Who is your award for this week? Mm. So I have gone for three people. I would like to give my award to Angelica, Paula and Tulia because I feel so sorry for them. Um, I think that they are doing their best to survive in this awful situation that the kids are in in Chittagatse and Angelica and Paula are doing their best to try and protect their brother and their parents are gone and they are just living an awful life and I feel for them and I just think they deserve some love and I would like to give it to them. Mm -hmm. A story written from their point of view sheds Will and Lyra in a really bad light. <laughs> really does, it really mm -hmm. does. Um, but again, that's the thing, isn't it? What's so great about Phil is that um, it's never clear cut with like villains and heroes. I think they need some love and I would like to offer my services up to them. Do they need a cuddle? I'll I'll probably get spected, but maybe we could go somewhere else where I could give them a cuddle. Yeah. Yeah. That would yeah. be great. <laughs> <laughs> I think I need one right now as well. <laughs> Me too. We are still running our very exciting giveaway whereby if you leave us a review and send us a screenshot of that positive review to our email at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com, you will be entered into a prize draw where when we hit 50 of those screenshot review emails, we will draw out 10 people to win some super fun HDM pod merch prizes. So please do leave us a review. It really helps other people to find the podcast and it helps us in all the podcast rankings. And then we'll reward you by entering you into a prize draw to win some fun free stuff. Hooray! Yay! Please say nice things. Give us five stars. Thank you. We appreciate it. We really do. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Herd Art Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rage. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Will and his fingers, you can find me hanging out on Twitter and Instagram at Faye, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E-Triple-Y. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.Ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and dust, I am making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore makes, and on my online shop, rachmakes.co.uk. A huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. 
And we'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.